before I guess I start introducing myself, um, how is your faith this morning? Has it been good? Has your faith encouraged? Are you growing your faith? This is just, you know, we get, you know, church isn't just about the Sunday, right? It's, it's so much more than coming on a service and fellowshipping together. That's good. Uh, but what Sunday service does, it, it, I find it, it encourages our faith. It kind of rem- it reminds us how important it is. Because there's going to be a day, right, when Jesus comes back. When's that coming? We're not sure. But when he comes back, there's only going to be one currency that matters. It's going to be faith. Your faith. Who's your place in? How do you see Jesus? So it's just a, an encouragement for me. It's like, I got to keep working on my faith. I got to keep growing my faith. I, I can't, I don't have time to slow down. I got to keep growing, right? We got to keep coming to the church. You got to keep reading God's word, worshiping, worshiping on your own, not just one day a week, right? We got to keep edifying ourselves, each other, and encouraging the way that we can do that is here in God's house. So I am, so my name is Jordan Ruby, my wife Jillian. She has Tyson right now. Uh, our oldest uh, kids are Dawson, Eden, Adeline, and then Tyson. So we come from Pine Grove Community Church. Is, does anyone know where that is? Pine Grove, a, a few. So yeah, just outside of, of Kingston, kind of in between Kingston and a little town called Sealy's Bay, if you've heard of that. Uh, so we're there. And okay, so you might know this. Uh, that's where Pastor Dan went after he came uh, after he left uh, this church. So, so yeah, so that is where we come from. And, and there I am the pastoral intern. So Jill and I, we we're in a in the ministry walk right now, seeing how God wants to use it. And I guess if I do have a title for this message, it's called The Call-In. The Call-In. If you do have your Bibles, I don't have any scriptures for you to put up, so sorry. But if you're in your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark 1, and we're going to be kind of verse 14 through 34. We'll, we'll see how we go. Um, so if you would say, if I would be introducing myself, say, five years ago, life, uh, I'd be kind of explaining a much different life. Uh, my background is I'm a hockey player. So I played some kind of junior A hockey around the Wellington area. I never played against Kempville, but I would have been in that same level as the Kempville. I think it's 67s here. Is that who that? Yeah. So I got a scholarship to the States. I played hockey. I studied psychology. And after that, we played some pro. Uh, so to kind of save you all of our trips, because uh, it's not about my life. It's kind of about the scriptures here. But we ended off in, in Wheeling, West Virginia. So it was like a, it was a couple farm teams under an NHL team. So five years ago, we would have, I would have told you I would have been playing pro hockey. A couple of kids would have been off our, our team roster. <laughs> and you know what? We would probably say life was kind of, life was fun and full of adventure in, in, in a good sense. Um, but you know, these, ever since COVID happened, that was kind of when I retired. And life's been different. It's been good, but it's definitely been different. Uh, the glitz, glitz and glamour probably hasn't been there as much. We've had four kids since then, and we're, and we're really trying to get our foot in. It's this life of journey. Do you have different seasons in your life? Yeah, do you kind of look back on maybe some good times you had, like, oh, and you try to almost relive those? But maybe that's the point isn't about trying to go back in time and really the, relive those. It's about kind of moving forward. And kind of what can keep you sturdy in those times is, is knowing your calling. And I'm not, and what I'm, well, the scriptures are going to kind of tell you, it's not so much about a, a specific calling. We actually all kind of have the same calling. We can just kind of use it in different ways. 
So I pray that the Holy Spirit can kind of speak to you. If you, you know, I always tell congregations to listen to me. Hey, if God's speaking to you and he's putting something in the heart, you can kind of go walk out and listen to him. Maybe don't make a big scene, but hey, it's, I'm just kind of hopefully getting something going for what God's going to kind of keep continuing to speak in you after Sunday and hopefully next week and the week after. So Mark, so Mark 1, so 14, 16. So just, I'll say this, in the Mark, very beginning, it, it's, right, it's all about Jesus and his, his life. And Jesus, right before this, enters the scene with, do you remember when Jesus got baptized? Right? There's a voice from above that said, who was God, saying, you, Jesus, are my son, who I'm well pleased. And this dove came down on Jesus, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. My name's Jordan. That's always nice, right? And in that moment was a beautiful picture of the Trinity, of God the Father, God the Son himself, and God the Holy Spirit. The dove coming down was hovering, which in the beginning of Genesis, when the Spirit came down on the earth, it hovered. It's that whole thing of the Trinity was present in Jesus' baptism which is cool because when we get baptized, it's a beautiful picture of us. We get on Team Jesus. We have that Trinity starting to work in us. And we get invited into that great dance. So Jesus got baptized. He got invited into that great dance. What happens the next moment? Jesus goes into the wilderness being led by the Spirit, and he was tempted, right? But when Jesus went into the, Spirit, when Jesus went into the wilderness, the same truth for him and the same truth for us is that you don't go in there alone. Because God's all around you. He's in you, Emmanuel with us, but he's also Emmanuel in you, in us. He's going with you no matter where you are. So as a Christian, you are not alone. So that was kind of Jesus, that was his prep, getting ready for ministry, right? Ministry, it's, it, it's a life. And we're all living ministry. But ministry is a life where we need to have the whole Trinity in us. So Jesus, after he left the, after right, he with, uh, got rid of the temptations from the devil, he went on his own, and now this is kind of when the ministry kind of takes place. So Jesus, so this is a little time after John was arrested, but then Jesus went into the city of Galilee, where he preached the good news of God. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near, and repent and believe in the good news. Also sometimes maybe think about, what, is, what does Jesus mean when he just says the kingdom of God is near? And I'm a simple person, just I view it as the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is literally saying the king of God's kingdom, meaning Jesus, King Jesus, is among you. So the kingdom of God is near because the king is here. And he's also saying, repent and believe the good news. In my brain, I'm like, oh, hold on. If you ask, what's the good news, right? We're sinners. Jesus needs to die for us. We've got to put our faith in him. It's repent, believe the good news, Jesus is saying. The, the, the cross hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Right? Jesus is asking them, repent, believe the good news. Jesus hasn't even died yet. The good news is that, right, what Jesus was saying, put your faith in the person, right, who's going to make you right in God's sight. The good news at the end of the day, right, is God makes you right in his sight. That was through the cross. They didn't know how God was going to do this yet, but Jesus was just simply telling his followers, his disciples, repent, I am here. Put your faith in me. I'm the one. Not keeping the commandments, not going to church once a week, not doing all these sacrifices. Those stuff aren't going to make you right in God's sight. It's putting your faith in me. Repent. Believe the good news. So 16 through 20. And Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. 
And at once they left their nets and they followed Jesus. When he had gone a little farther, Jesus saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired men and they followed Jesus. Just a few points to say here, which is always encouraging for me, is that, right, Jesus, right, look who he gets to partner with, like the fishermen. The, the blue-collar people, the people like you and me. He, right, he doesn't go to the, the high and lofty people, the, the, the CEOs where, you know, it's like January, when the New, Year, uh, New, New Year's Day, yeah, January 1, it's like so many of the CEOs have made what everyone else would have made in their one year in that one day, like rich people, right? Jesus, he doesn't go to those people with the social connections, the ones who can market his campaign, that can kind of, you know, get Jesus' ministry off the ground running. He goes to the people like you and me because he's in a relationship with us. That's not a transactional one. That's actually a real relationship. That's what Jesus is looking for. He chose people who wanted to follow him and people that could could, uh, see and experience what the kingdom of God looked like. So also, I'll just say, when Jesus calls us to follow him, He's not really, he's not mean that we just abandon everything and drop everything and go follow Jesus, okay? Like, Tyson, he has to get looked after, okay? Like, he's not saying Jesus, like, hey, Jill, you're going to follow me? Great. Okay, leave your baby behind. That's not what this is, right? Hey, Jesus, follow me. All right, they left their father in the boat behind it, okay? There's, there's a bigger picture than what kind of the scriptures would say. The idea is right with that is when you follow Jesus, it's more about, you know, he's reordering your loves in life. It's not about abandoning your loves. It's about the reordering of your loves. And when you follow Jesus, right, none of that reordering comes from self-discipline. It's the Holy Spirit now who's in you. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you a new hunger, a new thirst for his righteousness, and an appetite for those things, okay? Another thing is, I don't think, right, when people are... You know, there's a moment in Corinthians where people were getting saved and they were wondering, hey, do I leave my job, Paul? And Paul's like, no, no, stay where you are. Because wherever you are, what you're doing, that's your pond. So when you think about Jesus saying, hey, be, a, be fishers of men, be fishers of women, what's he really saying? He's saying, love people. You, you, you love God? Do you know how you show people that you love God? You, all right, sorry, do you know how you, how you demonstrate that you love God? Is that you simply love others. If you, if you don't love others, do you really love God? I'm super paraphrasing some First John right there. But it's that idea of you love God, you love others. What does fishing for people look like? It's simply by loving people. So wherever God has placed you in, whatever skill set he's given you, right, that, that's, I mean, simply, that's your pond. That's your pond. That, that's where you do your best fishing, I would say. That's your pond. That's where you do your best fishing. The moment you follow Jesus, here, let me, let me say this. When we answer the call to follow Jesus, it's the moment that I would say that we get called out of the life that we were never created to live. We start entering a life that we're always created for, for loving God and loving others. It's that call on our lives that has been through the beginning of time. And if you ever kind of, you know, I don't know if you're probably like me, <laughs> Because I, I sometimes go this way, is you know, ever ask that question, God, what's, what, what's your will for my life? Or God, what, what, what kind of call do you have on my life? 
Cause I, I, we, we've been kind of walking through that right now, right? I, I was, I, I knew, I knew hockey, and that's what I was good at, right? That's what God, that's what your calling was on my life, right? And though I wasn't wrong to say that, because we each have different gifts and abilities. But remember, that's just your pond. Your ultimate, your real calling, is simply boiled down to love God and love others. So right now, there is a moment you do have to hear God and discern what paths to maybe take in life. I don't, I don't want to get, get wrong with that. But at the end of the day, if this is advice is just for anyone. At the end of the day, you know you can be in the will of God when you're loving God and you're loving others. Case point. He can come back today and you could, no one could live in regrets. Oh, did I miss this calling? Oh, did I miss? Is this what God? No, no, no. Did you love God? Were you loving others? Well done, faithful servant. At the end of the day, that is a calling right there. So you can all be living out God's calling. So don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. So Mark 21 to 22. So then Jesus is moving on. Then he went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, right? So the Sunday service or the Saturday service, their church service came and he went to the synagogue and he began to teach. And they were amazed at Jesus and his teaching because he taught them with one who had authority and uh, not as these teachers of the laws. All right. I have a bunch of notes here, but... I wrote a lot of stuff, so I'm kind of just, I'm kind of just, I'm just kind of rolling from them right now. Basically, right, these people were always listening to echoes of God's word, right? Uh, John the Baptist, right, preparing a way for the Lord, a, a voice in the wilderness. But then the, there came a time where all those echoes, there had to be a source for those echoes, right? And Jesus, the source, came, and when they heard that source, they were astonished. I, I could kind of describe what the, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote the book, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I could, I could come up with a decent recap probably of it, and, and, and you would enjoy it, right? But if C.S. Lewis came, he would be using his own words, his own imagery. His, he would be speaking from his own experience, and I, right, might have been okay. I'm just the echo, but C.S. Lewis, he would have been the source of all that, and you would have been, whoa, this guy actually wrote it. He's actually the author of it. Well, guess what? Jesus, the author of life, when he came speaking, everyone was astonished. All jaws dropped with King Jesus. 23, 28. So Jesus at this point, I guess you can maybe say he left the church service and he was probably speaking about what the kingdom of God was like. But then these next uh, verses, um, it talks about Jesus cast out a demon and then he's going to heal someone. So it's kind of like Jesus was telling them what it looks like, and then he was going to show them also what it looks like. You know, everything kind of think about uh, the gospel and your faith, evangel- evangelism, these things. I kind of think back to kindergarten, like show and tell, right? So I, I would say sometimes telling people about Jesus is a little, little scary sometimes. Well, I would tell that person, show Jesus. Show Jesus as much as you can, and then use words when necessary. But it's that idea that Jesus was telling these people on Sunday what the kingdom of God was like. But now he's going to show the world what it looks like. So what does it look like? Thanks for asking. So just, uh, just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. So right, a man demon-possessed was actually around the church at the time. That's kind of interesting. huh? That would probably kind of freak some of us out right now, wouldn't it? So a man who was in the synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed, and they asked each other, Who who is this man? Is this a new teaching? One with authority. He even gives orders to these impure spirits, and they have to obey him? And news about Jesus spread very quickly. And verse 32 and 34 basically say that when when the evenings uh, after sunset, people were all coming to Jesus, those of the sick, the lame, because they too wanted to be healed. And Jesus kept doing these miracles. Jesus is showing us where, what the kingdom of God looks like. A, a kingdom of God looks like there's a place where there's no darkness, there's no evil, there's no sickness, there's no cancer. Um, every t- and, and, it's, and it's interesting that every time you too, right, you, you pray for someone and they're healed. Do you know people, you know, have you ever prayed for someone to get healed? Maybe you, you pray for them and like you learn later they got better. Guess what? God's behind all of that. Whether it's they're healing them with the penicillin or the doctor, God, God's hands behind everything. Or God can even heal right in the moment, right then and there. He can do all that. So you pray for someone and they get healed. Um, you know, you ever love someone that's hard to love? <laughs> you ever forgive someone? Maybe it's hard for, to forgive. You show grace to people that don't deserve it, but you give them grace anyways because guess what? That's grace. Okay, every time you do that stuff, you're showing, you're being an example of what the kingdom of God is like. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So with this parable, Jesus is showing us what the kingdom of God is like. He's using it as casting out this impure spirit. Okay, Jesus, I'll just say he's not a, he's not a demon hunter. Okay, <laughs> He's not going around looking for demons. But what he does do is that when darkness shows himself, when darkness shows itself, Jesus shuts it out. Jesus squashes the darkness. Darkness in itself is terrified of the light, of Jesus' life. There's a song by Skillet. It's a band I like, and it says, it's based, their line is that Jesus terrifies uh, the light. Or sorry, Jesus terrifies the darkness. It's that idea that darkness is terrified of who Jesus is. And darkness, did the darkness from this person, did it maybe leave, or did it have to flee? It has to flee. Darkness has to flee. The presence of Jesus was so revealing it pushes back darkness everywhere Jesus went. And this still happens today. So, if king of God's kingdom, meaning Jesus, if Jesus has the power and authority to push back darkness, if his presence alone terrifies the dark, what does that say about us? Because if we believe in Jesus, right, our old self too has gone to past. And now guess who lives in us? Jesus does. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead Guess what? It lives in us. So we too, in the name of Jesus, have the power and authority to push back any type of darkness. We too have this power and authority to think about, man, we can use Jesus' name every day when we're struggling, whether it's like a, you know, we're struggling, if we're struggling mentally, physically, spiritually, you know, just motivation to go to work, motivation to do, like, Use the name of Jesus. Ask Jesus to give you strength. Ask Jesus to give you motivation. Ask Jesus. There's power in his name. There's power. Darkness is terrified of his name. Here's the thing about the name of Jesus and the power and authority. 
Jesus, right, at any given moment, he can squash darkness and send it back to where it belongs, hell. But Jesus will never use his power and authority to put you in a headlock and you follow him. That always has to be a personal decision. So Mark 29, 31. As soon they left the synagogue. There's a lot of stuff happens in Jesus' ministry, huh? It's like a, it's like you see everything. <laughs> as soon as they left the synagogue, they they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and he t- and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her and took her by the hand, and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Some scriptures basically say something else, but began to wait on them, or she began to make food for them. I don't know where the difference was, but different versions, or different, I think the NIV says it differently. So back then, right, a high fever, it's much different than having a high fever today. A high fever back then, it it was kind of lethal, it was was fatal. Medicine isn't like it is today. So high fever, not good. She was so sick that she couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't even muster up the strength to go to Jesus for a healing. And Jesus simply had to, right, once again, show her what the kingdom of God was like. Jesus had to go to her. She couldn't go to Jesus. Jesus had to go to her for the healing. And this is a beautiful kind of picture, I would say, of our salvation story. Which, right, how did you become saved? Was there anything you particularly did to get saved? Did you, you know, did you uh, help out at just the right amount of soup kitchens, go to church just the amount of times? Did you say the right amount of Hail Mary prayers? Did you do any of these things that you kind of forced God's hand and now he has to let you into heaven one day? That's not your salvation story. Nothing you do could go to him for the healing. He had to come to you. And he comes to you when you simply say, Jesus, I acknowledge my sin and I repent and I need you to be my King Jesus of my life. You can't go to him. He is the one who came down from heaven to earth to get to you. So now he's the one that can bring you into heaven, right? Into the pearly gates, so to speak. Jesus, our faith in him, he's the one who is the remedy for our evil and broken hearts. So the disciples, right, they, 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 just, they saw a lot happening here in this little moment of Jesus' life and his ministry. Jesus was, was telling people what the kingdom of God was like in the synagogue. Then he kind of moves into showing them what the kingdom of God also looks like. No more sickness. Darkness can't live in it. He's pushing that all stuff, all that stuff away, right? Jesus was calling disciples to follow him and what he was doing. The disciples had these front row seats to hear and see the kingdom of God was like. So up to this point, I would say the disciples were probably enjoying this ride. <laughs> They're like, this is, I don't know what's the best Canada, Canada Wonderland ride right now, but this would have been fun. This would have been amusing. This was a life uh, full of adventure and good fortune, right? But there was going to be a time, though, when following Jesus, it wasn't going to be this fun. And there's going to be a moment when the disciples' life were following Jesus. It probably seemed like it was a dead end, and there's just a pile of rubble in front of you. And that kind of speaks some truth into us, because sometimes following Jesus, there's a moment of full good uh good fortune, full of, of adventure. But then things change. And then things change. So there's a story called The Princess and the Goblin. 
It's by a guy named George McDonald. It's a little kid's fairy tale. So you got, you got to think like a kid. Can you think like a kid? Do, do, actually, do you, know, do you know when you read this Bible, you're supposed to have a faith like a child? You know this Bible actually wasn't written for the PhDs and the philosophers. They're actually written just for the simple-hearted. Who gets into the kingdom of God, right? The one that has the faith like a, faith like a child. So anyways, all right, digress. So George MacDonald wrote a book called uh, The Princess and the Goblin. So there's basically, there's a little girl, her name's Irene, eight-year-old, little girl, and she lives up in a castle, and below the castle, underneath the ground, is this, the layer of goblins, right? And the goblins' whole goal is to, you know, overcome and overthrow the humans and take over the castle. Okay, that's in a nutshell. So one day, this little girl, Irene, she gets lost in her castle. It's a, you know, it's a big castle. And she hears this humming sound. So what does any little girl do? She follows this humming sound and takes her up a few flights of stairs into the high tower. And there she finds this old woman with white, long white hair, and she's sitting on a spinning wheel. And the thought occurred, well, maybe Irene's like, maybe this is my fairy grandmother. So after this encounter, Irene had many more times where she wished that she would see her grandmother again because the grandmother just simply disappeared. So she kept looking time after time, and she couldn't find her fairy grandmother. So maybe she thought, well, maybe I was dreaming. Maybe it was just all made up. Well, there was a time when the grandmother appeared to her and found Irene, and she gave Irene a ring. And attached to that ring was this magical invisible thread. Are you with me? A magical invisible thread. And the thread was so fine that Irene could not see it. She couldn't see it. She could only feel it. Her fair grandmother said this to Irene, if you ever get into some trouble, if you ever get into some danger, take off this ring and put it under your bed. Put it under your pillow, actually. And then you must lay your forefinger along the thread. And as you follow the thread, it will lead you out of danger. And then Irene's like, oh, all right, it's going to lead me right to you. And, I, and the fair grandmother said, you are absolutely right. And you can know whenever you're touching that thread, I'm on the other end of that, holding on to that thread as well. So one night, right, guess what happens? The goblins break in and, the go- and, and they're amongst Irene and, and, and she's, you know, she's scared to death. And what she remembers to do, oh, yeah. I need to take off my ring and put it under my pillow. I got to follow the thread. Okay, she, she can do that. So she begins to follow, to feel the thread, knowing that it's going to take her to safety, right? Yet, to her dismay, what did she realize? That, take, that the thread actually took her outside of the castle, outside of the safe place, actually, and towards the cave, the cave where the goblins were. And not just the cave of where the goblins were, but a cave that had a dead end of just a pile of rubble, and it looked like that was it. So what does Irene do? She, she uh, it's not George, George McDonald's words, but it's mine, is she put her in reverse, and she started to back up the thread. But the moment she backed up the thread, the moment she started to work her way back, guess what happened to the thread? It disappeared, because the thread isn't meant to go backwards. It's only meant to be followed going forwards. That was a pretty profound thing by George McDonald. So she tried to feel her way back, but she couldn't go backwards, only forwards. So Irene started to cry out because she knew she was going to be handed over to the goblins. 
But there's a spark of hope, though, when she realized that, well, wait a second, my thread actually doesn't end. There's just some rubble there. She started moving a few pieces here and there. And actually, she saw that, well, it just kind of collapsed. And she had, she saw the light. There, there was a pathway. So she said, okay, I can keep moving forward. And as she followed her thread, you know, they, she actually came to uh, one of her friends who was trapped by these goblins down there. And there, they, his, her friend is like, okay, well, let's now go back. And Irene's like, no, no, we can't go back. It doesn't work that way. We've got to keep going forward. So I hope you want to read that story sometime. Because <laughs> that's how I'm going to leave you. So her trust wasn't, here's the thing about Irene, right? Her trust wasn't really in the thread itself. It was in the person on the other end holding that thread. That's where her trust was in. That's who her hope was placed in. See, she, she could be, see, she could trust and follow in the thread because the other person on the other end of that thread is the one who is truly faithful and true. So does following Jesus mean that he's going to sprinkle fairy dust over your lives and everything's going to be all rosy, peachy, unicorns, all that type of stuff? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry if that's news. Following Jesus is less like being carried off into never-never land, and it's more like kind of sometimes being led to a dead end of, of rubble, if I'll just be honest. When Jesus called his disciples to follow him, right, they had no idea where they were going. They had no idea. Uh, they probably thought it was right, a life fun and full of adventure. They never thought that Jesus, following Jesus, following actually their thread of life, the thread of life, would actually lead them down a path where in the journey end, they would have their hero killed on a cross. The disciples, Jesus' life would have looked disappointing. They would have thought, this is God's son. I thought God said, God, you delight in Jesus. What, why did he die? And if following Jesus meant that if Jesus in the end got a cross, I don't want to follow him. I can kind of imagine maybe that's what the disciples were thinking. And sometimes maybe we think that too. But Jesus would never expect us to do something that just he wasn't willing to do first. He wouldn't expect you to trust someone if he didn't trust them himself. The reason why Jesus' thread right, led him from a throne to a cross the reason why Jesus' thread following it led him to experience total abandonment from everyone he loved, his friends, his family, his Jewish friends, his, even his own father, was so that when we accept and follow Jesus, the one who is faithful and true, guess what? He's going to lead you time and time again, every time, back into God's loving arms, the one who is ultimately faithful and true, the one who's on the other end of the thread, on your thread, holding it tight. See, if we accept and follow Jesus, I can't promise you it's going to be a life full of adventure and good fortune. And the rubies, we're, we're, we're learning that, if we'll be honest. We're learning how the thread can be. There's, there's some moments of rubble here and there. And we're learning how to kind of get through that and see what God has in store. But we're trusting in the one who's holding on the thread. We're trusting, we're trusting sorry, in the one who is the thread, Jesus and the one who's on the other end of the thread, God. So, can't promise your life full of adventure and good fortune, but I can promise you what this book promises you, that Jesus can use every, you know, misturn, wrong turn, every bad thing that you've ever done, and he can use it to bring you to the one who's at the end of your thread, faithful and true, and to God's loving arms every time. So let's bow our heads and I'll, I'll say a prayer here.
Jesus, we thank you today. We thank you that, well, I'll just say that. I just thank you that you, you gave your life for us. And sometimes we don't, maybe don't appreciate it, appreciate it that much. Because we maybe don't understand the sacrifice that you've done for us. To think that you came from a throne to a cross to lead us and to guide us in our life down here on earth. I pray that if we're ever wrestling with the thoughts of, God, do you know what you're doing? God, what's my calling in life? God, what's this rubble doing here? That we can know loving you and others is the calling of life. And when we do see a pile of rubble, it's not meaning to go backwards. Because it doesn't work that way. Following you doesn't work going backwards. It only works going forwards. And we can know without a shadow of a doubt that the other one on the holding the end of the string, God, is faithful and true, and he will bring us to safety. He will bring us to the glorious finish. It will be all be worth it. We can put our faith and trust in you, Jesus. We thank you that we can. And I pray that we can be encouraged to do so and love as many people as we can along the way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just speak whatever truth you want to each one of us today and may you just kind of keep ringing in our hearts as we keep going on for the rest of this week. In your name we pray, amen.